I want to welcome you once again this morning as the Lord has gathered us for this leadership forum. Our speaker is here. He came before most of us. And uh, we are ready to go. This is leadership forum. And uh, we will be given opportunity for interaction for you to ask questions at the end of the day. So if there are things that have been bothering you based on leadership, please, you will have the opportunity of asking questions. But before then, we want to invite our daddy, Professor Bissio Sioma, as he comes. Can we do something for the Lord? Praise the Lord. Sons and daughters of the living God. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Amen. May we just bow our heads to pray. Aborum Chinesia is a way in Bawe. O Tridunyaho, O Traki Dita, Ewo, Nguagi Bezioku, Ehe Kuruki Geme. Iburum Chinesia Ezeingwe Imbangwe Iburum Chinesia Naingwe Imbangwe Utsudyunyahong Otsakidita Ewo Father, we thank you because you are the unchanging and unchangeable God. You cause the scissors to change. You cause the atmosphere to change from cold to heat, from heat to cold, rain to dryness, dryness to rain, yet you remain unchanging and unchangeable. You cause the winter to come, the summer to follow it. You cause the planting and the harvest season to come. All these things, O Lord, come at your behest. For you alone are the Lord of the harvest. Lord, this morning we ask that you again touch us. Do for us, O Lord, what no man, no organization, no institution can do. Reach us, O Lord, at the point where we hurt most. The point at which we discern you most. By your word that cuts to the dividing asunder of bone and marrow, of soul and spirit, of body and whatever. Speak to us, Lord. Each of us in accents clear and still. Help us to comprehend, to understand, and to grow in the calling to which you have called us. Thank you, dear Lord. Have your way at this hour and quicken us by your grace and your mercy. In Jesus' precious name we pray. Amen. Praise the Lord. Well, what we have this morning is leadership forum. And I want to submit that 
Leadership is a skill we need in every area of our lives. We need leadership in the family. We need leadership in your professional vocation. We need leadership in the church. A couple of, I think about two, three years ago, I spoke at, um, the, I think, was it the 50th uh, birthday of my bishop? And I spoke on the topic, church and leadership, the neglected factor. I was quite blunt. I said some of our priests and bishops don't know a thing about leadership. And the church is suffering. And um, I thank God that quite a number of people heard and took to heart. I believe that God is bringing us to face the challenge of leadership. Because... Where there is leadership, there is no end to what we can achieve. I feel bad that oftentimes I quote Nelson Mandela as an example of leadership. I wish I could quote a frontline Christian preacher or teacher. But the man stood out. A man who was victimized. And he refused to revenge. In fact, the way I put it is that I say, when the man was the anvil, he took a lot of blows. But when he became the hammer, he was reluctant to strike. That was the best way I could describe it. A man who decided that the best way to neutralize your enemy was to get to know him well, and learn to work with them. And that's why South Africa remains the leader in Africa. It is an index of leadership. If you provide leadership, every other thing will follow. If leadership does not, oftentimes people are grumbling. That was a very common example. I don't know whether you do it here. We call somebody to come and lead choruses. He comes and starts scolding us for not standing up. If you lead choruses well, people will stand up. You don't need to use a cane. Everybody stand up. Somebody say, if you don't stand up, uh, your leg will collapse. I say, why are you cursing us? We were just asked to lead us in a chorus. This is leadership. Once you chart the course, people will follow. It is a normal thing. So God helping us this morning, we will attempt to Say some things. Try to learn some things. Always the Apostle Paul had challenged me. He said, My desire is to present every man perfect unto God in Christ Jesus. Can you imagine your congregation trying to present every man perfect unto God? Then he adds another word. He said, I travail again in the pains of childbirth until Christ be formed in you. Women, you know what we are talking about. You know how women travail in childbirth. You know the pain, you know the anguish, you know the groaning. So that's what I do daily so that Christ be formed in you. That is the challenge to leadership. Let's turn our scriptures. We'll read two or three passages. 
And we will base our discussions on them. The very popular one, I'm sure that you'll expect me to read it. Mark chapter 10. Mark, gospel according to St. Mark. Chapter 10. 42 to 45. Anybody who sees it first can read. Mark 10, 42 to 45. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. So, Jesus called them all together to him and said, You know that men who are considered rulers of the hidden have power over them, and the leaders have complete authority. This, however, is not the way it is among you. If one of you wants to be great, he must be the servant of the rest. Praise the Lord. Go on to 45. And if one of you wants to be first, he must be the slave of all. Hmm. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served. He came to serve and to give his life to redeem many people. Praise the Lord. Jesus Christ redefining the meaning of leadership. You know, incidentally, I just came back from Elorin. And we were having an executive committee meeting of my professional body. And an argument arose. Somebody said, because we are in the executive, we are senior to everybody in the association. I said, sir, I don't understand it to be that. He said, that's what it is. I said, no. When we gather as a matter of protocol, I am supposed to enter before those who are not members. But that doesn't make me senior to them. He said it makes us. I said it depends on your concept of leadership. If you see leadership as seniority, then you are right. But if you see leadership as responsibility, then you are not right. I said there are people there who admitted me into this professional body. They were already here before I came. Some of them were already leaders here before I even left university. I don't become senior to them because I've just been given a title or a position. That's the basic thing about Nigerians. We see leadership as seniority, superiority. You are placed over others and they must all follow. We never see it as service. We never consider ourselves as servants. Who wants to fight over being a servant? Let us, let us debate who will be a servant. We go to the polls and vote and vote. If I, if I miss, I will go to the Supreme Court to make sure that I'm voted servant. Who does that? We are going there because we understand what we, our, our concept of leadership. That is we are oga over everybody. There's another passage I want us to read. Exodus 18. A very, another popular passage again. Jethro was teaching, you know, every book on management contains that scripture. Exodus, well, any, any every old good book, the modern ones don't put it. <laughs> Exodus 18, from verse 20, uh, let's start from 19 to 22. Anybody again to read Exodus 18, from verse 19 to 22. 
Hearken now unto my voice. Mm-hmm. I'll give thee counsel, and God shall be with thee. Be thou for the people to God was, that thou mayest bring the causes unto God. And thou shalt teach them ordinances and laws, and shalt show them the way wherein they must walk, and the work that they must do. Moreover, thou shalt provide out of all the people evil men. You see the qualifications. Such as fear God, mm-hmm. men of truth, taking covetousness, and place such over them, to be rulers of thousands, and rulers of hundreds, rulers of fifty, and rulers of ten. And let them judge the people at all seasons. And it shall be that every great matter they shall bring unto thee, but every small matter they shall judge. So shall it be easier for thyself, and they shall bear the body with thee. Praise the Lord. Do you see the qualification? Able men, such as fear God. I remember when I was appointed uh, Director General of Nigeria College of Accountancy. And when they were defining my authority as Director General, it became clear that I had the right to hire and fire. The power they invested on me. And not only that, there was an internal trouble in the association at that time. So, there was a tussle. It was as if the council was suspended. And the only stable authority was me. If I sacked anybody, the person remained sacked. If I appointed any person, he remained appointed. The night they made this thing clear to me, I went home and knelt down and said, God, help me. Let me not do anything for which you will judge me after my time is completed. Because it is easy. If you sack somebody, he goes. I had a friend when we were in secondary school. (laughs) If I mention his name, some of you will know him. Because he was a very highly placed consultant in this town. But then we were in school together. And he said he would want to marry an illiterate. So that if he got angry, she will starve. Did you get his reasoning? So if I get angry with her, she will starve. That was his reasoning. That is the attitude of some of us. Even in these matters. But God will take us to task. What we do in positions of leadership. That's why one of the first things is that people who fear God, men of truth, even when it hurts them, they will still say, look, this is true. Let's stand by it. Well, the next passage is almost a restatement of this. is in Acts chapter 6. Again, you recall the selection of the deacons. Acts chapter 6. The seven deacons. And they were looking for qualities. Almost similar qualities to what we have been talking about. But it has New Testament coloration. Can somebody read for us Acts 6 verses 3 to 4. 3 and 4. Acts 6, 3 and 4. Brethren, pick out from among you seven men of honest reports. Men that have what? Good reputation. Full of the Holy Spirit and Mm -hmm. wisdom. 
whom we may appoint over this business. But we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the world. Praise the Lord. This the point I want to bring out here is that in the New Testament segment, every leadership position is important. Whether it is to serve food or to serve tables. God does not different, you know, remove one from the other. Whether your duty is to clean the chairs or to preach at the pulpit, each one is equally important. Because the qualities for the one are the qualities for the other. Seek out from among you. I don't know why uh, the Holy Spirit added good, people of good reputation, honest report. Why do we need good reputation? I thought we don't mind what people think about us. They can go to hell. Isn't that what you think at times? But Paul again later was talking about leadership. He said, those who are spoken well of outside the church, they may be wonderful in the, in the church. When they come, they preach wonderful messages. When they go home, they beat their wives. They are not qualified. The scriptures are clear. It must be somebody who has maintained a reputation both within and outside the church. Praise the Lord. So these are the three scriptures. Of course, if we necessary, we will step on others. But we will start with this. Now, if I ask us a question, give me one word, just one word, that you think should represent leadership. What will that word be? Just one word. Uh-huh. A servant. I like that. She said, so a leader is a servant. That's her, you know, uh, the way she puts it, her, her take on that. Any other? Just a word. A word. Yes? Eh? Service. You are still saying the same thing. Servant service. Okay? Uh huh. Humility. That's a good one. We are going to talk about it later. Because most Christians don't realize that humility is sweetest when it is in a leader. Some people will act it. Some leaders will pretend that they are humble. When you gather, they will take a plate and be giving us plates. They are not humble. When you know whether they are humble is if you annoy them. Or if you are recognizing people and you don't recognize them. How do they react? Or you are calling him up and you miss his title. (laughs) That's when you know who he is. Some are really truly humble. Humility is a great quality. But what you have described so far are characteristics that can be found in good leaders. But I'm saying, what one word do you think will represent leadership? I said, this is what leadership is all about. Uh-huh. Sincerity, again, you care? Okay? I agree. Uh-huh. Responsibility, alright. You are still going around the same thing. Uh, let, let, okay, let, uh, integrity. He's now coming into the inner court. He's now coming into the inner court. If you were to ask somebody, what one word should describe leadership? Character. Integrity. I'm not saying, that, that's what he just said and I'm repeating it. I don't, I'm not saying that that's all. 
There could be others. And I'm, I'm waiting to hear them. Uh, you wanted to say something? Eh? Faithfulness. Okay? That's again uh, relating to service and patience and sincerity and all that. Very important. Let me add another one to that. What he just said, integrity. Vision is another word that captures what leadership is all about. Have you seen what others have not seen? Where are you taking us to? You know, one of the things I've discovered, once you are in a position of leadership, God will grant you vision concerning the people you are leading. If you ask of Him. Even fathers, I was talking to some parents, you know, the place of the man, and most men don't realize that there is something God has put into their hands to manufacture and formulate and fabricate their children. I read through the story of Jacob. I never heard that Jacob was a prophet until the day he called his children and began to speak. And God was seemed to be saying, you too can do the same thing with your children. Under God, declare what their future will be. Be visionary. Not when you get angry, you curse them. I was reading the story. I mentioned yesterday reading the story of uh, Ben Carson. You remember? His father checked out when he was only eight years old. And it was left to the mother to bring them up. And every day the mother kept telling them, My children, Unugabum mother. Umaka, I have I serve these big men. They don't know anything. You will be great. And today nobody's talking about well, if you mention here Ben Carson, you know we are talking about a great man. A pediatric neurosurgeon who stood out for being the one of the first, one of the earliest to separate Siamese twins. We are talking about a man uh, look though I said when he ventured into politics, he ran into rough waters. And he discovered that the people who will be happy with your products may not be happy with you, you know, getting your votes. For you to get their, their votes. But the mother kept saying it consistently. Even when he was considered a dunce in his class, the mother was confessing the same thing. Mom, I something. Can't we begin to change and speak good things into the lives of our children because God has put us, you know, in power over them. For good, not for evil. Is there any other word? There is a third word I think of. By the way, uh, my, the, 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 young, the man who said integrity, I agree completely. In fact, I agree that the number one word you can use to summarize leadership is integrity. No matter how good you are as a leader, if you don't have integrity, you destroy. You will ultimately destroy everything you are building. I don't want to give, use current examples, but the point we are making is that once you, you are tainted in your character, you will not build things that will last. There is a third word you can also use to represent leadership. Inspiration. Leaders inspire. They don't just tell you what to do. They help you to go beyond your normal capacity. I, I like when you stand before a group of people 
I, 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 I come across them everywhere. In office, in church, in the professional body. As I just interact with them, I notice that there are people who are clear leaders among them. And all you need is a little encouragement and they will emerge as leaders. When we begin to inspire them and to encourage them and to egg them on, there will be everything that God desired them to be. Now, one of the greatest leadership teachers of our time, at least from a Christian perspective, what's his name? One of the greatest teachers in Christian leadership. Thank you very much, John Maxwell. Whether you like it or not, he's one of the frontliners. There are others, though, but he has written leadership Bible and all that. He gave us four portraits of a leader. And that's where we now come to some of the things we said earlier on. He said, you could say that a leader is a servant. You can also say that a leader is a seer, a visioner. You can also say that a leader is a steward, taking care of the whatever assets that belong to the organization. And you can also say that a leader is a shepherd with sheep and flock to his care. Each of them has consequences. Whichever way, if you decide to look at leadership as a shepherd, uh, uh, the leader as a shepherd, it means that relationship is the most important thing in his life. A very prominent management writer, Warren Bennis, studied over 60 American companies to find out what makes them, no, these are the leading companies, what makes them the best. And he discovered that there were four characteristics that showed that they had leaders that stood them out. The first one was that their leaders could had what we call management of attention. Their leaders captured the attention of everybody. You follow them. They have a vision. And everybody shares that vision. They have so managed attention that they get, whether you like it or not, they get you to notice them and follow them. So, they manage attentions. But not only that, they also are good managers of relationships. They know how to relate with people. You know, I've discovered that oftentimes, People stay and grow in an organization because of the relationships they find there. One small boy was asked in, in, in Sunday school, those who want to go to heaven, everybody raised their hands except this small boy. And they asked him, ah, son, why? You don't want to go to heaven? He likes that place. So. But so many of his friends he has discovered will be in the other side. Hell. And he wants to be with his friends. He thought that hell will be a place for holiday. And because of the relationship he had forged with his friends, he opted to go there. Relationship is a strong factor. The way you relate with people and the way you encourage people to relate with one another. But there is a third one. Management of communication. 
your ability to put out words, to put, you know, to speak well. Great leaders have been great speakers. Think of people like uh, Dr. Namdi Azikiwe. Anytime he spoke, people listened. And they followed. Every great leader has been a great speaker. Think of an evil genius like uh, Hitler. He was a powerful speaker. And then there is the fourth very important aspect of leadership. Management of self. They not only manage attention. They not only, they not only manage relationships. They not only manage a communication. They also manage themselves. Because some people can be liabilities unto themselves and unto their organizations. So, we are saying that, we are, remember we are talking about shepherd as a leader. If you are a shepherd, you should know how to man, handle relationships. If you are a steward, you should know how to handle the responsibilities that are attached to your position. That is one thing our young sisters do. Once a, a preacher stands up, tall and big, powerful above every other person, they think he's a saint. And some men use it to beguile women. In so many groups and societies, so many churches, they stand out as examples, and they end up not being good examples. They, how do they put it in the land? As in a, a dog does not eat a bone tied to its neck. That, that's just a proverb. Nigerian dogs will eat the bone and chew the rope. And they won't mind. That, that's the truth of the matter. So, if the leadership is stewardship, if leadership is stewardship, then that means custodial relationship with all the resources at your disposal. Whether it is money or assets or human beings, you treat them with respect and realize that they belong to God. Then if you see leadership as a seer, it means you have been to the mountain top and you have seen the promised land. And you are now talking, you have a revelation. And you are leading the people to where God has asked you to take them. So, if you consider yourself a leader, where do you, and of course, the last one is servant. If you see leadership, a leader as a servant, it means that you have rights that have been suspended. Hello? You put your rights on abeyance in order to serve and draw and fulfill your God-given tasks. These are some of the things that God has laid Upon our hearts. That we may realize that leadership is a great responsibility. And any time we lead and lead right, there will always be a dramatic change. I was reading the story of some of the great leaders of our times. I read about a man. How many of us have heard about him? Lee Kuan Yew. Lee Kuan Yew. Uh-huh. The man who transformed Singapore and took Singapore from the backwash of nations to a frontline economy in the, in, uh, among the Asian tigers. 
Today, if you talk about Asian Tigers, Indonesia, Malaysia, Singapore, they are countries that are now setting the pace for a country like Nigeria. Before, they could not hold a candle to Nigeria. Then I went to Singapore. Singapore is a one city country. Almost the entire country is just one city. But go there and see how everything is ordered. Today I went to Mauritius. I said, Mauritius is also Africa. I said, what is happening? What is wrong with Nigeria? Why can't we learn some of the things that these people have? Discipline. It is leadership. Once you have a leader who will walk the talk, people will follow. Lee Kuan Yew began a battle. It was not easy. At some point he gave them conditions that you people must follow what I say. If you are ready, let us go. They said, we are ready. And by the time he finished, Singapore became... Everybody was attracted to Singapore. Let me not talk even about heads of state. Have you thought of somebody like Martin Luther King Jr.? Martin Luther King, have you read his books? Have you heard about his thoughts? I call him one of the philosopher kings of... of, of, uh, of 20th century. He was a philosopher king. Said things that you never forget. He was the one who warned those who were standing on the fence. He said, when the battle of war, when the dust of war settles, we may forget the hard words of our enemies. But we will never forget the silence of our friends. So if you are a friend and you are silent, you better wake up and do something. He was the man who stood up and said, I have a dream. Everybody is looking for <laughs> ringing tone. I have a dream that one day, and that day has come. Barely 40 years after, a black man became president of the United States. What was his, I listened to one of his speeches. He wasn't, it was not that he was so dramatic. But he kept driving the point home. We have something we believe in. If you are truly a leader, may God grant you visions of what he wants you to do amongst the people. I think it was George Barnes that said, a leader, somebody who is a leader because he thinks he has the gift of leadership. Say that man is a dangerous man. He will cause trouble. But if you are in leadership because you think God wants to use you to accomplish a thing, he said, that's the man who should be in leadership. And I believe that God wants to raise leaders in these times amongst us to make a difference in church and society. Anywhere good leadership begins to operate, people will appreciate it. Let's go to another scripture. St. John's Gospel, very well known again. Chapter 13. Can somebody begin from, um, from verse 3? John chapter 13. 13 from verse, verse 3. Verse 3. Jesus knew that the Father had put all things under his power. Mm-hmm. And that he had come from God. Mm-hmm. And was returning to God. You see? It's not a matter of he that is down needs fear no fall. Eh? So this man was not down. He knew everything. 
He knew he had power. He knew he had authority. He knew he had position. He was serving from a position of strength. Go on. So he got up from the meal, mm-hmm. took off his outer clothing, and wrapped a towel around his waist. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash his disciples' feet, drying them with a towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter, who said to him, Are you going to wash my feet? Jesus replied, You do not realize now what I am doing, but later you will understand. No, said Peter, you shall never wash my face. <laughs> Jesus answered, Unless I wash you, you have no part with me. Then, Lord, Simon Peter replied, Not just my feet, but my hands and my head as well. Jesus answered, A person who has, who has had a bath needs only to wash his face. His whole body is clean, and you are clean, though not every one of you. For he knew who was going to betray him, and that, and that was why he said not everyone was clean. When he had finished washing their face, he put on his clothes and returned to his place. Do you understand what I have done for you? He asked them. You call me teacher and Lord, and rightly so, for that is what I am. Now that I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you should, you also should wash one another's feet. I have set you an example that you should do as I have done to you. I tell you the truth. No servant is greater than his master, nor is a messenger greater than the one who has sent who sent him? Now that you know these things, you will be blessed if you do them. Praise the Lord. In fact, I can stop now. Hallelujah. You see how Jesus acted the lesson. First of all, I said, a leader who serves. <laughs> I don't know how to put it. But I see him as higher than the one who is not serving. That was why when our sister there said humility, I said very, very important. Humility is the Christian virtue in which all, all the virtues, from which all the virtues spring up. If you are not humble, you cannot love your neighbor. If you are not humble, you cannot be faithful to God. Humility is the soil in which every other virtue grows. It it provides a basis. And here was Jesus, who knew who he was, who knew where he was going, who knew what he had behind him. He put away everything and served. I identify with uh, Peter. The way he felt, I would have felt the same way too. Can you imagine, my Lord, uh, His Grace, the Archbishop of uh, this province, coming, not the one we do once in a year, coming and uh, truly we sit down to eat and he removes his uh, robe and ties the towel around his waist and begins to wash our feet. I will feel scandalized. 
I'm sorry, no, not me, sir. You can't watch me. But there was something Jesus said to Peter I want us to note. Jesus said, if I don't wash your feet, what? You don't have any part in me. Then Peter said, what? Again, that man made sense. If it is like that, then don't just wash my feet. Wash my head and my hands and my entire body. What did Jesus say? You are already washed. You are already clean. And the way it is, only your feet need to be washed. Do you get what he's saying? You may be a believer. You have accepted Christ. You may have a feel with the Holy Spirit. Tongue-talking, demon-chasing. You may be a wonderful preacher and teacher of the word. You still have a problem that only your fellow brethren can help you get over. Washing your feet to help you walk more rightly with God. That is part of the service we owe to one another. I don't know whether that was what Peter had in mind when he wrote in his epistle. He said, be, be very careful to make your calling and your election sure. You are a believer. Heaven bound. Heaven is your goal. But you need to make your calling and your election sure. Make sure your feet are washed. And Jesus went on. Did you notice that after he finished washing them? Look at verse 12. When he had washed their feet, he did what? What did he do? Uh, look at your verse 12. When he had washed their feet, he put on his robes again. Brother, service does not remove the robe of authority from you. When you finish serving, when you finish washing, when you finish cleaning, you can put it on again and sit on the throne again. Nothing stops it. In fact, that time your position is more enhanced. Jesus was defining leadership for all who would come after him. And so he told them. He said, what do you think I have done? And they began to, I'm sure they must have had various opinions. He said, what you have seen me do, do unto others. There are only two places we, where we are explicitly told to follow the example of Jesus. This was one of the places. John 13. Jesus actually said, follow my example. The other place is in First Peter chapter 2. I think it's verses 22 to whatever. He said, Jesus died for us, leaving us an example that we will follow in his footsteps. Two things. The first one is the towel. The second one is the cross. They are the two emblems, symbols of Christianity. Towel is service. Cross is suffering. And the two go together in the calling to which we are called. Don't mind that 21st century prosperity messengers tell us that there, there, there's no suffering. Thank God that it was not in this age that they translated the Bible. If it had been, they would have removed everywhere there was suffering in the Bible. And left it with a glory, glory, up, 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 praise, praise, worship, worship, sing, sing, dance, dance. Jesus Christ made it clear that this was part of our calling. Praise the Lord. Again, again, talking about John Maxwell, that's what he calls the seven seas of leadership. 
You want to be a leader? You will be prepared. He calls them the seven seas. By the way, before we talk of the seven seas, are we aware that there are many things, uh, many ways we confuse what leadership is all about? We have talked before and we zeroed in on uh, integrity, vision, and inspiration. And uh, those three are critical if we are going to represent leadership. Let me say quickly that leadership is vision. That's what we are actually saying. Leadership is service. Ministry, service. Leadership is like priesthood. You're standing in the gap between the people and the organization of God. Leadership is modeling. Living by example. You're walking your talk and you're talking your walk. Leadership is not just promotion. There is a price to pay before there is a price to earn. You need to pay a price before you earn a price. So it is firstly responsibility. Leadership is partnership. Teaming up with God and men in order to attain a goal. And of course, like we said, leadership is integrity. Walking the moral high ground. Now, I was beginning to talk about the seven C's of leadership. We can never overemphasize it. Character. Character. I have served under all kinds of leaders in so many places. There are people I, I mentioned and uh, Everybody says, ah, that one too. Is he also one of them? Is Saul also among the prophets? There are some you mention. And people can vouch and swear for them. I had a man like that. Incidentally, he has passed on now. He was my rector when I was, uh, when I was teaching at the uh, provost, when I was teaching at the College of, College of Education. And I had the opportunity to interact with him personally and as an organization. Even among his friends, he stood on principles. And I kept, I kept telling people that he never even favored me when he was my ogre. But I knew why he was against me. He felt that he was defending a principle. And once you convince him that that principle he's standing for is wrong, he will change. Character is the number one C in leadership. That's the same thing as when we say character, we're also talking about uh, integrity. The second C is competence. You should know how to do the work. I remember some time ago, I had a head of department who did not know how to do anything in the department. He didn't know how to compute cumulative grade point average. He didn't know how to calculate the results of students. And so he depended on us. Well, lucky for him, I'm a Christian. So, I cooperated with him. The day I came late for the calculation, if you see him, eh, his blood pressure was reaching the the mountaintops. So, what is your man? What is your man? 
Immediately he saw me, he bought, he bought meat pie, he bought everything and said, please be walking. Because he did not know what to do. It is very bad that a leader should not know the skill. Whatever it is, know what the, get to know what is happening. You may not be the best in it, but so that you don't become ignorant. When I was at the direct, uh, director general at Nigeria College of Accountancy, one day I called, they wanted to, you know, it was a big Nigeria. How Igbo Yoruba? Something will happen and they will team up with you, against you. So one day they began to, I called all of them. I said, none of you is doing any work here that I cannot find a replacement for within 24 hours. And I meant it. One, what was, the, what was it they were doing? I was, they were teaching. I wasn't supposed to teach. I was the director general. But I was teaching. And I, I tried to give them an example. I thought I refused to take money for it. I said, I cannot be the DG and teach and collect money. I will teach free. So he can't bluff me with teaching. The accountant, he was my student. I taught him with some accounting principles. If he doesn't want to prepare the books, I will prepare the books. And I told him, I said, there's nothing any of you can is doing here that I won't find a replacement for. So you better behave yourself. And you know, he kept them within line. Because they knew I was telling the truth. If a leader does not know how to do the job, you are endangered. Look around you. In those days, we used to have bands. Osita, Osita, Sadebe, Rex Lawson. Any band where the organ did not know how to play any instrument will always collapse. Because the people will bluff you. May God help us in Jesus' name. There is a third C. Conviction. Are you persuaded? Do you have a value that is underlined by what you're doing? If you have conviction, you will have passion. Passion for what you're doing. You'll be passionate about the work. Every time you will reflect the fact that this thing is important to you. And then there is the other C. Courage. Very important for leaders. Because you may be called upon to change something that may not change very easily. And you may have to fight a battle to change it. So you need courage. Then charisma. Charisma is like a gift that goes with the position. Everybody, you may, somebody may be ordinary. Once they make him orga, an heir will follow him. Once he comes in, somebody has come in. And whether you know it or not, he captures the attention of all and sundry. Then there is commitment. If you have conviction, are you committed to the task? Will you say like the Apostle Paul, from now henceforth, let no man trouble me, for I bear in my body the marks that testify that I belong to the Lord Jesus. That's my calling. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. But the life I live now, I live by the grace of the Son of God, who called me and gave himself for me. Is, is there a commitment? Is there a passion? Is there a go-go in your life? They say, ha, so also you won't know about this, his job. He's always talking about it. That should be your, your, your ways. And then of course the last C. Compassion. 
If a leader does not have compassion, he could become a tyrant. You will have authority, and if you don't have compassion, you can become a tyrant. It's a very vitally needed seed in the life of every leader. Now, I want to say one or two things before I'm done. How does a leader handle the issues of temptation? There are temptations that are peculiar to leaders. One is anger. You feel offended. How dare you talk to me like that? After all, you may not say it out. You may just be telling it in your heart and in your mind. You don't know. It was like one day I came to buy fuel. In those days, that they used to have fuel scarcity. And I was living in Enugu then. And we were standing on the, on the express uh, outside that filling station. Incidentally, the, the manager of the filling station was my student. And I knew I was going to get fuel. And then this lawyer came. And said, brushed everybody aside. And said, Let, give me fuel. I said, ah, sir, be very a little courteous. We are not joking here. Can you... He looked at me. said, I will not bring myself down to your level. <laughs> I, I, I won't bring my down, myself down to you. I don't know what he thought I was. Though. Maybe he thought I was either, <laughs> either motopacked out or something. When he finished me with his words, I felt like telling him who I was. And I went up and said, why do you <laughs> If at that point somebody came out and said, ah, prof, how now? I'll be happy. <laughs> so that he will know that I'm not a nobody. But you see, it does not matter. Whether he recognizes you or not, it does not remove anything from you. I'm still what I am. By the mercies of God. Let him call me even a, a, a talk pusher. A wheelbarrow pusher. It does not remove anything from who I am, who the person I am. But leaders can be angry. How do you, you know, handle anger? How do you handle unwarranted criticism? You're doing your best and somebody is resolved to run you down. And at times he begins to muster forces against you. How do you react? You feel like throwing a caution to the winds. I say, even though before Jesus. And telling him that if not before, eh, I for teach you say kakino be leather. And eji zi eji. That could be a major problem with leaders. That we have already talked about the, 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 the resources at your disposal and how you handle them. You can handle them as if they are your own. In fact, just very recently, my professional body gave me a big amount of money to do something. And that money was seen to be left to me to retire the way I thought. And when I began to retire, at some point I just paused. I said, God help me. You have given me so much. Help me not to mess myself up by going to pick things on the ground. Was that, not the, was that not the story of David? 
God said to David, what do you want that I have not given you? You have even allowed you. How many wives do you have? East, west, north and south. You fill your home with a harem of women. Just this little one held close by one of your servants, faithful servants. You went and took her and arrayed the man's death. You have blasphemed the name of the Lord. And this thing you have done, subsequent generations will use it to blaspheme the name. Till today, unbelievers are not talking about it. When you tell them, there's a word of David. Till today, unbelievers are still citing David as an alibi. Go back to Second Samuel chapter 11 and, and, verse, and chapter 12. Nathan said so, that what you have done, you have given occasion to enemies of God to hold on to this thing. It is, there is a temptation a leader has. You privatize everything around you. But God will hold you accountable. That's one thing I always remind myself of. God will hold me accountable. So, even as a leader, there are things that are out of bounds for me. It's very important that a leader should remember that you are not contending with people around you. You are contending with a higher authority. By the way, each time we talk about leader, some of us just recline and say, Gwabanova. Everybody is a leader in one way or the other. Leader in the family. Leader in your vocation. Leader in your office. Leader in your class. Leader in your, among your friends. Leader everywhere. So these are challenges that relate to all of us. God expects us to play the right role that we ought to play. I think I should be beginning to round up. So that if there are any questions or comments, we'll, be, we'll take them from there. I just want, um, I had a very interesting program with the Christian Lawyers Class Fund a couple of months ago. They asked me to speak on a topic that said Nigeria, the biblical worldview of leadership. And we, we went to town, we talked about things that are current today in Nigeria. And we, we went deep into the theories of leadership. The world is there. Are, in fact, somebody said there are two broad kinds of leaders everywhere. There are transactional leaders. Eh? You give me, I give you. If you obey me, you'll be rewarded. If you don't, I deal with you. I have given instructions, just follow them. Transactional. They offer peanuts, they offer uh, inducements, they offer rewards for your obedience and compliance. They are often like traffic cops directing traffic where they ought to go. And if you behave, you get rewarded. Transactional. But there is another type of leader which the church needs, which the society needs. We call them Transformational leadership. 
they cast a vision. They look beyond where you are to where you ought to be. That's one thing God always does. He looked at Simon Peter, vacillating, unpredictable, uncertain, always his foot in his mouth, wondering. He looked at him and said, you rock. You Petrus, on you I will build my church. Well, there are, I'm not going into the theology of it. Is it the, the, the rock of revelation? That, that, that. But he spoke in a manner that was, somebody could say, Sir, or this man, you made a mistake. Oh. This man cannot be what you're saying. He picked up somebody like, uh, like uh, Abraham. Did you know Abraham was very fearful? If you read the story, you will discover. He was very fearful. He said, ah, my wife, when they ask you, tell them you're my sister. You know you're very beautiful. I don't want to lose my life yet. And any time there was a famine, before you stop him, he was already in Egypt. God picked up this fearful man and made him the father of faith. God looked beyond what he was to what he could be. There was this man, call him a bigot if you like. He believed in the law so much. He thought the only thing that mattered was the law. He boasted about being a Pharisee and about being perfect in legalistic righteousness. God picked, picked him up and made him a champion of grace. And so he said, everything I owned and I thought I had achieved, I consigned it to the dustbin as dung for the excellency of knowing Christ. So that's what the way God behaves. He brings all those things that you can boast about and he puts them aside. And God begins to deal with us along that line. So that you and I can enter into that which he has proposed for us as individuals and as a group. What we have tried to Say in this, uh, this thing that tra- the transformational leader will begin to look beyond who you are now. Will begin to see what you could be. Will begin to unravel the future that he thinks could be yours and inspires you to get there. He pushes you. Amen. He empowers you to go on your own. By the way, when I was to come here, I said I, I could see the way this place was running. The vicar told me a long time ago and said, you are coming. But after some time he said, some people will be in charge. And a lady was calling me on this matter. Until one day she called and said, I will travel. Another person will take over. And I, I began to see an ordered system. My prayer is that you will continue that way and be even better in the name of Jesus. And the day I was coming, somebody said, call me immediately you arrive. When I called him, he got, he called another person. And the person rose is coming. I saw a network. That is what leadership is all about. Not when one man does all the running around from morning till night, he's sweating. He said, hey, I'm only, the only person doing it. I'm the only person. 
If you are the only person, congratulations, you have failed as a leader. A leader gets others to work with him. I could go on and on. Oh, I've talked of the temptations of a leader. Part of it is a, he's a recreation. When he's happy, if a leader is happy, it could be another temptation. You remember Herod? Somebody danced and danced and danced. Herod said, Oh, I will give you whatever you want, even up to one third of my empire. I will cede it to you. Well, when he got the request, it was not what he expected. The lady went to her mother and came back with the request. Give me the head of John the Baptist. And the Bible said because he had made a promise publicly, he could not go back on it. Beware leaders. A leader's time of joy can also be a temptation. Your pride can get in the way. May God help us in Jesus' name. If there are other issues that come up in the process of our discussion, maybe we'll also take them. There is something we often say, I must touch it before I sit down. I'm sure you've heard that word said many, many times. Servant leader. Who is a servant leader? What does it involve? Let me try to give a sketch of what a servant leader is. Because I believe that the scripture makes it clear that we should be servant leaders. And uh, meanwhile, in fact, I just saw something. Before I stop, I will share what I call the 12 principles I extracted on the leadership style of Jesus. Servant leader actually means leadership by service. And there are a number of things you may note about that. A servant leader is one who is called to lead. But he maintains the heart and the attitude of a servant. He's not a doormat, but his leadership is his service. He sees the leadership as his service. He doesn't see himself as ogre over everybody. He says, look, I have a job to do, and that job is to serve you, to lead you. And so if you have any problem, you call him. I was telling some of my colleagues at the university. I said, the very first time I was appointed a head of department, that was in 1979. I think it was 1979. I was first appointed a head of department. And I told myself some things. I said, if you are just a lecturer in the department, a student comes to you, you can tell him, get out of my place, get out of my place, go away, go away. I said, but I am now head, so I have no right to tell any student to get out. The book should stop on my table. If a student comes with a problem, it is my duty to find the answer to it. And I said to him, my staff, I said, don't you ever send a student to go and find his result. It is your duty to find that result. Get up and go. There are, there are areas you need to put students on the spot. 
But there are duties we owe and we draw salaries for on. And it's our duty to do those things. So, one of the things about this servant leader is that he sees his leadership as his service. The task that God has given him. Secondly, he considers his primary task to be to provide guidance and help others realize God's creative intent for their lives. His duty is to help you realize what God has prepared for your own life. He doesn't see himself as the person doing it. He doesn't see himself as the person you are following. He just considers that God has put me here to show you the way. I may even not be too sure of the way myself. Every step of the way I keep trusting God to direct. Number three. He builds trust. He never demands trust. He builds it. He does not demand loyalty. He goes out of his way to earn it. By being honest, consistent, and walking his talk. If he does not know the answer, he will tell you, I don't know the answer. But I will try to find out. I remember when I was made a professor, my good friend, a professor from uh, Britain, University of Derby, he, said, he was my classmate in the university here. He said, come on, don't go and do that thing you were doing. Don't go and... Th- you are now a professor. There's nothing you don't know. Whatever they ask you, never say you don't know it. You know everything. I said, me, I know everything. Yeah. So I, I become God now. <laughs> but he was, he was trying to advise me on how to be a good prof. He said, never you say you don't know anything. But be honest. Be consistent. And people will begin to say, this man can be trusted. Fourthly, his leadership is rooted in character, not style or technique. He doesn't go to the, to the uh, glass, the mirror, to learn how to smile or how to wave or how to act before the people. He's his natural self. His character is his leadership. Substance transcends style. He is value-centered. He's not just following the fashion. And we know at times when you are, when you are a leader, you feel like doing whatever that person is doing. This is the fashion of the day. I usually take a... Even in Anand, where I'm, where I'm a, a member of the Exco, I tell them, if it pleases God that I become president, I will change a lot of things here. Because I look at the things that are happening, and I tell myself, I'm not satisfied with this. Just as if each person comes up and does what he likes and goes. And he has all the powers. So one day somebody who has the power will come and turn things around. That's what happened to South Africa. Apartheid could not be changed. It was formidable until Frederick Clark came and he changed Apartheid from within. May God raise Frederick Clark in every organization to bring real change in the name of Jesus. Number five or six or whatever one, he commands quite a following, not by his words, but by the example of his personal life. A servant leader, you know, draws a following by the example of his personal life. I have not seen any man who does not like a humble person. He uses two key indices to measure his success. One, 
He looks at the quality of the life of the people he's leading. Have I improved it? Secondly, he looks at the extent of the sacrifice he has made for their well-being. These are the two things that tell him whether he has succeeded or not. Are you making sacrifices? Are your people getting better? If those two things don't give you a positive response, then you are not making any success, any progress. And finally, his greatest joy and satisfaction comes when he sees those he is leading grow and become even better than him. That's the joy of a servant leader. He sees somebody, <laughs> I had a student once, he was actually doing youth school and also doing masters under me. And he would be sneaking out to, uh, for interview in Lagos. One day I discovered, I said, why are you hiding it? You don't know my attitude? Will I stop you from making progress? I said, if you get a better job, you could take it. Uh, there's nothing that says you are not born with this job and you will not die here. So if you get and do you know this boy got a job with Diamond Bank? And as he was coming into Diamond Bank, the white man who was the director of finance was leaving for abroad and saying, I'm no longer coming back. And they were desperate looking for a director of finance. Young from, from uh, Masters and young from NYC, he became a director of finance. Today, he is one of the top seven in Diamond Bank globally, world over. One day he saw some people far away in Lagos. I said talking about me and the people were calling me. Ah, everywhere he said, my my mentor, by this man. My joy was that, who, who, what did I do for him? Nothing really as far as I knew. But he felt that there was a, a, a deposit I made in his life that made a difference. And that became a joy. A servant leader takes joy when he sees people grow. They may even get better, grow better than you. You are not bothered. It's your joy and it's your pride. Praise the Lord. So I think at this point, I will try to conclude. There is one prayer I usually say every leader must learn to pray. It's a prayer that was made popular by a lady, Pauline Peter. The prayer is a very short prayer. It says, Lord, when I am wrong, make me willing to change. When I am right, make me easy to live with. So strengthen me that the power of my example will far exceed the authority of my rank. Unquote. Lord, when I am wrong, make me willing to change. When I am right, make me easy to live with. So strengthen me that the power of my example will far exceed the authority of my rank. Praise the Lord. I will stop here. When we have questions and comments, we'll then go on as the need arises. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. It's actually now time for questions. Number one, please. 
praise the Lord. My question is, some, sometimes the, the leaders, like you said, we should, uh, humility is one of the attributes of a leader. But what if this humility is misunderstood? Because I remember when I was in school, our sister's coordinator then, the former one, she was very soft. So whenever, then at schools, when she comes and talks to us that we're supposed to do this, do this, we'll just, she needs to, sometimes we'll be very reluctant. So when she talks, we'll say, you know, we want to finish what we have to do, you know, until she comes and maybe when we don't do it as expected, she calls the papa and papa comes and uses a very, you know, commanding tune. And you see us, we just, ah, papa is coming, we just want to do it so that, to avoid, because if you don't do it, he might punish you or something. Or maybe give you a kind of excommunication from the other schools. But I noticed that when the new mama came, she was more strict than the old one, the former one. And I don't know why it happened, but I noticed that whenever she says something, we want to do it because we know, we know when we don't do it as she wants, or in the time, the time she wants, they may be, you may not like the outcome. So I want to know, is it that maybe what happens when this humility is misunderstood or taken for granted? How can you Mix it up so that you can achieve your aim. Praise the Lord. Um, I want to ask a question to sort of challenge us a bit. Because I think it's possible that either our cultural understanding of leadership and religious, in quotes, not necessarily from the scriptures, understanding sometimes obscures um, our understanding. So, for instance, you know, when I look at Jesus, you know, he's approachable. He's, you know, meek and lowly of heart. And if he wasn't approachable and people could challenge him as great as he was, then you wouldn't have someone like Peter rebuking him when he said he was going to the cross, having the courage to try that. But sometimes we have this touch not God's anointed, this reverence overt for men of God or women of God or even our husbands, you know, that you can't even challenge them. And I think if you were talking about one of the challenges or temptations of leadership is not being able to allow people to question you. It's dangerous where people can't speak their mind and say, we don't agree with you because they're too in awe of you. And I'll just throw in one more thing, even if it's controversial. Calling people daddy and father. I, I can't do that because the Bible says, call no man father. And I think it puts you in a frame of mind where you're beholden to them in a way that automatically everything they have, they say, is sacrosanct. You can't actually even say, where is this in the scriptures? Which for me is a healthy way to have dialogue with a fellow believer. Um, so this is just something I want to throw out there and say, does that inhibit people from growing? Because as a leader, of course, it's comfortable if you can speak your mind and everybody bows. But it's not actually healthy because it means nobody will tell you the truth. And where will you get challenged to know, except maybe your wife or someone close to you loves you enough to override that reverence and tell you the truth? Thank you. Praise our Lord. Uh, Prophet, please, you told us that we have seven C's of leadership. Peter, the commitments, and they're not up to seven. Then my question is, we have two broad categories of leaders. We have transactional leaders and transformational leaders. What are the thoughts? What shall we not do so that we shall not become transactional leaders? And what are the key principles that will guide us to become transformational uh, leaders? Because I prefer that 
That's our transformation. Thank you, sir. I want to talk on this uh, servant leadership. Uh, if I got you right, Paul, uh, you made mention of uh, two ways of measuring success, or uh, two indices. Uh, the first one you said is uh, the extent of the leader's sacrifice and uh, whether the people are getting better. Um, I, I have a problem here. Don't you think uh, it depends on those that are assessing the sacrifice they are making? Or who will assess the sacrifice? You. Secondly, how do you also know whether the people are getting better? Because spiritually, the, or, well, at the church setting level, people can think that, yes, everything is going on fine. Every, people are getting better. But maybe spiritually, one cannot uh, say, so I just, this is the area I just want to point to. The prof has actually started to address my first question, the 12 principles of Jesus' uh, leadership style. But the second question that I would like you to clarify is on the issue of the conviction, the seven C's, the difference between conviction and commitment, because both of them seem to be carrying the implication of passion in leadership. So if you help us to understand the difference between conviction and commitment in leadership. Thank you, sir. Praise the Lord. Uh, actually, mine is from the viewpoint of practical Christianity. And uh, my question goes like this. A leadership, or better scale, within leadership environment, could there be something like noble area? Praise the Lord. Um, well, my question... The background to my question is that uh, the Bible says that when the righteous are in authority, the people rejoice or something like that. But then, in our own experience here in Nigeria, too many times, church-going people or seemingly righteous people, when in authority, the people don't exactly rejoice. So my question is, what's the problem? Is it that they were not properly trained. Let me put it like that. Or that perhaps the principles of leadership in the Bible are not applicable in the real world out there. Thank you. Uh, Professor, I want to ask a question about a leader's responsibility to create a network vis-a-vis -vis the saying that the bulk ends at the leaders on the leader's desk, as it were. As one of our bishops will say, work must not stop. And if the leader dis discovers that part of the sub-responsibilities are failing at one of the points on the network, doesn't he have to be decisive in seeing that this work is done? And in doing that, Will it be considered to be a failure? Because, as you said, when one man does all the work, then good luck to him. He's already failing in leadership. Thank you, sir. 
Praise the Lord. I think this is the best class I've ever taught on this type of topic. I didn't know I would have this type of response. So I feel particularly happy that um, I have a very attentive class. And uh, the questions show that you really followed what we were saying. First of all, humility. Uh, when, I, when the sister started talking about humility, she started talking about softness. Humility is not necessarily softness. Humility means that, how do I put it? Um, you don't arrogate, in fact, the Bible puts it, they said, you don't consider yourself more highly than you ought. But you, you consider, there's a, an appropriateness in the way you consider things. If a situation requires firmness, and you're begging them, that's not humility. That's incompetence. I mean, if a situation requires firmness, be firm. If it requires gentleness, be gentle. And if you don't know the difference between the two, you have no business being a leader. That's what I would say. So don't, uh, don't think that when we talk about humility, uh, it's, uh, oh, oh, please now, uh, darling, uh, brethren, because, uh, no, that, that's not humility. But by the way, humility will always be abused. It will always be abused. And the Bible says that if you humble yourself, God will exalt you. Men will not. Men will step on your head. And they even say that this man is foolish. But God will ultimately raise you. So, um, I hope I have addressed the issue the way you raised them. I like that uh, other sister who came very strong and told them what needed to be done. Uh, brethren, this is what needs to be done. We will do it. And we will get it done. I'm not saying that I'm better than any other person. But I have a job to do and I will do it. I like that kind of attitude. So I hope that... Uh, then the second one talks of today's leaders. Touch not my anointed. The, the God of today is man. We have dethroned God and taken over his place. Even in the church. The time we spend praising men of God, we don't spend that much time praising the God of all the whole earth. I'm, I'm happy it doesn't happen here. My brother-in-law is now dead. Told me once, many years ago he went to Church of God Mission in Benin. And he said, they spent almost 30 minutes practicing how to receive the man of God when he comes in. They will begin to say, oh, clap. No, 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 no. They clap well. Look at how you will clap. Look at how you will stand. And they were doing this and doing this before the service started. Thank God that Ben Snedahosa, before he died, made it clear that the, the path we were following was not the right path. He was the first person who called Pentecostals, Pentecostals. People don't remember. He told them, he said, we are deviating. And told them, if you prosper and have the whole earth, and you lose your own soul, where does that put you? And so he still tried to pull the people back. Then calling people daddy or father, quoting that scripture doesn't seem to be appropriate to me. Does it mean you won't tell your father, father? 
doesn't mean you won't tell her. I mean, there are people who are fathers. You call them father. There are, but the one you have, you are, you rebel against. This daddy, daddy, I don't accept it too. Uh, when people want to help me carry my Bible, if I'm in liberty, I will agree. If not, I think it was Brother Miller who said, if you're a preacher and your Bible is becoming too heavy for you to carry, then resign. He said, resign and look for another job. So, I agree that at times we overdo this daddy-daddy thing. And uh, somebody doesn't need to go unquestioned. Because the Bible says, Be, touch not my anointed. Touch not my anointed was what God spoke to demonic forces and the opponents of God's people. It was not meant to tyrannize the church. You can't hold it like a club over us. And I said when I was talking, I said, one of the greatest steps of leadership is your reaction to unwarranted criticism. There are some criticisms that are not earned. And people heap such things on you. You need to know how to handle such things. Don't get so angry and crucify all of them. And by the way, every leader needs a small core of followers who will tell him the truth, no matter what. I even asked my bishop, I said, my lord, do you have any such people who will tell you the truth and say you are deviating? If you don't, you are in trouble. Because you wouldn't know when you are going wrong. So, um, every good leader needs a core of followers. So I agree with you there. And I also agree that we should not this, uh, you know, like I was sharing some place. Uh, ye are gods. And we clap and say that's a mighty revelation. Ye are gods. So I asked them. I said, are you aware that the Bible also said the devil is a god? The god of this age. So if you are gods and you are happy about it, the devil is also a god and he is also happy about it. And you stand on at par with him. And I said, I raised many questions. I said, if God wants us to celebrate this our divinity, ye are gods. Why was it that the Bible says Jesus removed his divinity and became a mere man and heaven celebrated it? Heaven celebrated the fact that he laid aside his divinity. What, what was God really telling us there? And I said, when God made man, he made him in, in, whole, in his own uh, image and after his own likeness. Yet the devil came and said, if you eat this fruit, you will be like God. What was the point in that, in that temptation? He was already like God. So why was, what was he going after? And in any case, what was the, temp- what was the sin of Lucifer? That I will be like God. I will ascend upon the mount and dwell upon the sides of the north. What, what, what was the essence? And finally, the Apostle Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 8 said, Look, whether there be gods, there are many. But as far as we are concerned, there is only one God. The eternal God. Brethren, leave these things. They don't help us on the way to heaven. There are things God wants us to take note of. He said, talk to your brother and tell him you are wonderful. Who told you he's wonderful? The man is struggling to make it and you are telling him he's wonderful. I was invited to give a talk. 
I tell you, I should talk about how to say, you know, manage success. I said, manage success. We are still in a race. So we have not finished. When we finish, when we get to the heavenly harbor, that's when God will take the roll call. And that's when we know those who have succeeded and those who have not succeeded. I said, I'm not party to this thing. After one year, you celebrate your success. After another one year, you celebrate your success. May God help us in Jesus' name. Then the other person asked about, let me, seven C's. I hope, uh, let me see, I, I think I gave up to seven. Am I right? I gave up to seven. Maybe you missed one. I said character, competence, conviction, courage, charisma, commitment, and compassion. Have you seen the one you missed? Okay. Thank you. Then the other, you, the other aspect you raised, um, transformational and transactional. Okay, let me tell you, um, I didn't go into the Transactional leadership is based a number, on a number of things. Number one, you identify the needs and preferences of people. And use it as a path to the achievement of higher performance. What do they need? They need more money, you give them more money. They need more holidays, you give them more holidays. Because you want them to increase production. This will help the subordinates to be rewarded and satisfied. While helping you to achieve your goals. They use managerial skills. To address the day-to-day aspects of the work life of people. They are good at managing the details of the budget. Reviewing and following through on projects and initiatives. Keeping meetings and ensuring adherence to agenda and conducting appraisals. That's a transactional leader. But there's a paper I wrote on just these two. Transactional versus Transformational leadership. And then the transformational leader, what does he do? He has the ability to inspire and motivate followers to achieve results greater than they originally contemplated. And he does this for internal rewards. It's not that he gives them money, you know, money and promotion. No. He enables them to get an inner satisfaction from doing it. They create a vision. And they carry people along in the realization of the vision. By sharing that vision, they clarify the present. And they show how the past has influenced the present. And so thereby promote a view of the future. They are good listeners. They are consistent, persistent, and focused. And they strive to empower others in order to obtain momentum. I hope that satisfies it. Then the next one says servant leadership. I like that very, very thoughtful contribution there. Measure of success. Sacrifice and um, improvement on the fortunes of those whom you are leading. He said, who will assess the sacrifice? You. You are the leader. 
You know the sacrifice you have made. They may never know. If you go to tell them, then you are, you are no longer, you are not acting like a servant leader. You are looking for their applause. They say, you know what it cost me to be here today? Did you know? Somebody comes up to speak in a, to deliver a sermon. Say, well, brethren, it was only 30 minutes ago I was given, told that I'm going to preach. Anyway, my friend, if either you preach, you go and preach. And if you don't preach, keep quiet. I just, I just sit down. When people begin to do that, they are giving an excuse so that you will see how wonderful they are. They were just asked to preach and they preached so wonderfully. So, you know the sacrifices you made. And the person you are working with will know. In fact, at times, he is the person who will now come out and say, this message you people listen to. So just 30 minutes ago, I asked him to prepare it. We really thank God for him. So, you will assess the sacrifice and you will assess the progress of your people. You will know whether they are improving. Of course, you may use the wrong indices. Do they have more money? Have we bought a new car? Have we bought a new parcel of land? Are we building a new church? That sounds like a business report. It's a balance sheet. It's not a spiritual report card. Are you lifting the souls of the people? Are they more heaven conscious? If we have a program on Saturday morning, will they happily come? Like, by the way, I want to congratulate you for being so many on Saturday morning. Go to any church and ask them. To get this number on a Saturday morning is not easy. I've been to many places. You may end up just having about 10 to 20 and clapping for yourselves. So, that's part of what growth involves. Are people thirsty for the things of God? Are they straining to be better spiritually? I would call that a spiritual report card. So, I hope that answers your question. Then the other one says 12 principles. Yes, I will talk about that soon enough. I'll just run through it. But the seven C's, he said, our conviction, I mean, conviction and commitment, are they not the same? Conviction talks about values. Your beliefs. What you stand for. Commitment refers to your loyalty to a cause. And your consistency in pursuing it. They are close, but there is still a thin dividing line. I hope, I don't remember who asked it. I hope, uh, I hope I answered it. Aha. Uh-huh. Then are there no go areas in leadership? Yes, I talked about them. I said in Kitada top one area, no, no. If there's a rope, if you are a dog and there is a bone, they hang to you that rope round your neck. Please, for goodness sake, don't chop that. Don't chew that bone. Like I say Nigerian dogs, they will chew the bone and chew the rope. So that's not the right thing to do. So there are no go areas. You see, leadership At times, I want to put it this way. On this side of eternity, leadership can be a thankless job. Because at times, the people you are struggling for may not see it that you are struggling for them. They may be angry with you. They may be chalking up cases against you. But you know what is costing you to serve them. But God will reward you. Both now and in the hereafter. So, I I like seeing leadership like that. Um, and there are things you don't do as a leader. You come and boast. Tell us, ah, yes, you see me here? You people are lucky to have me. 
all over the world, they are asking for me. They should not do that. I could go on and on. Then number seven says, seeming righteous people uh, are ruling and people are not happy. I'm happy you answered that question. He said, seemingly righteous. That they are going to church doesn't mean they are Christians. Have you read uh, that man who said from police to pulpit? Have you read his book? Or heard his testimony? It's a, it's a very, very powerful testimony. He was at the regional, full gospel regional convention at Abba. And he also came for the uh, national executive this, January, this February at Abuja. The man said he swore against Christianity. That he repented when he was going to the police college. They allowed the scripture union to come and do a crusade. He repented. Gave his life to Christ. Good doing follow up. He said, but when they assigned him to be an orderly to politicians, that he knows what the politicians do in secret. He said, some of them drink blood. He said, but they will, they will pa, 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 arrive in church. He said, I'll be waiting for the, the priest to tell them to repent. They will praise them to high heavens and allow them to read the first lesson and the second lesson. He said, at that point, he marked Christianity bad. The man went into occultic and devilish things that nearly ruined him. God just had mercy and brought him back. So, that somebody is governor and he goes to church doesn't mean anything. Very few of them are steadfast in their commitment. Very, 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 very few. If I put it in percentage, I would say less than 2%. All they do is use their connections to get into office. Very few of them see themselves as having a responsibility to serve under God. They thank God that there are a number who still hold. So the problem really is not that there are no righteous people in Nigeria, but the system does not allow the righteous to appear. How will you go through primaries? You want to come and become, they, like, they say, you, you want to allow us to chop. They will tell you to your face. We can't vote for you. You want to allow us to chop. One brother is from Ebony. A, a dear brother, when, we, when he was at the College of Education. I knew him. Very committed to God. And at some point he was into politics. Yeah. I said, okay, well. Let's see how far Brojon will go. One day, we saw him at um, at uh, this um, Ogui Road. And I said, what's happening to policy? I no longer see your name in policy. Say, my brother, things have changed. He ran for governorship election. And they etched him out at the primaries. So he went on protest. Went to uh, Abuja. They called him and said, we will fix this thing up. Bring two million naira. He said he went to, after praying, he came back and told them, I'm not convinced, I won't go ahead. This thing. The boy, the man said, look you, we asked you to bring money and you're static. What if we asked you to bring a human head? Would you bring? He said, at that time, he knew that he could not stay there. That was his, at the end of his politics. He said he just turned and left. 
He had cancelled politics. So, that's part of the problem. But maybe one day, God will so disorganize their system that somebody will appear whom they didn't plan will appear. And we will have mercy from God. Then the last question is creating a network. Creating a network doesn't mean that the man on whose table the box stops has abandoned responsibility. In management, we say you delegate uh, 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 power, but you retain responsibility. If anything goes wrong, they will be they will ask me. But I have given you power to act. So even in networking, I still retain the responsibility to make sure that things uh, uh, work. So I will quickly run through. Um, I read a book, and please I recommend that if you see it, read it. Briner and Pritchard. The title of the book is, um, let me find the title. It says, Leadership Lessons of Jesus. Timeless Wisdom for Leaders in Today's World. By Briner and Pritchard. 2001. Leadership Lessons of Jesus. Timeless Wisdom for Leaders in Today's World. Now, it gave many lessons, but I just picked a few. There will be gaps, because some of the things he raised, I never thought were issues. For example, a leader eating with his men. He says it is a powerful instrument for bonding a group. When a leader eats with his men, and he sits with them to eat, Said Jesus did it. And it was part of the loyalty he had from his men. And I had never thought of it like that. And some of these things, you begin to see some of the wisdom in some of the issues he raised. But I, so I just picked a few. I'm just saying it so that you know that. So number one, true leadership is not a matter of having a title, a position, or an overwhelming personality. It is a matter of the heart. Who is the leader we need? The one who is a servant. When you find the servant, you find the leader. He's not a big shot sitting at the head table. He's the one out in the kitchen serving the meal. Jesus turned the values of the world upside down when he established a new fraternity, the royal order of servants. Hello? So, true leadership is not a title, it's not a position, it's not an overwhelming personality. It is a matter of the heart. Are you a servant? Number two, leadership is largely about authority. Acquiring it, using it, and investing it in others. In other words, it's not whether you get power for yourself, but whether you empower those who follow you. I hope you're getting the point. Number three, a leader must be the calm in the storm. Turbulent times will come. And when they do, it is important that the leader will be the calming, steadying influence. A storm is always the true test 
of leadership metal. Compassion is an absolute necessity for leadership. Without it, the leader becomes cold, self-serving, and tyrannical. So it is important that you have compassion. The next one, leaders must develop, we have talked about this, a core group of followers in whom they confide and from whom they expect honest feedback and wholehearted support. Somebody who will tell you the way it is. A core group of followers. The next one. He who serves best and teaches best leads best. Discipline is to be administered through rebuke. Serving is not only about washing feet. It is also about leading followers followers into commitment, into dedication, into discipline, and into excellence. I will talk about that lady who talked about, who talked about humility. He said, serving is not just about washing feet. It's not just about being soft. It's about leading people into commitment. Next one. A wise leader must plan from the very beginning who will replace them when they go. Groom successors. We call it succession planning in management. You must raise those who will replace you. The next one. A leader may have respect for tradition, but he must have greater respect for the people. Don't ever raise tradition above the people. The people must always be more important than the tradition. The next one. Leaders will be criticized. Good, effective, benevolent leaders are often criticized most. The good test of leadership is how you handle criticism that you don't merit. So, how do you react to criticism? Learn to take it in your strides. Next, good leaders have a vision. Better leaders share a vision. Best leaders invite others to join them in spreading the vision. A shared vision binds leaders and followers together. In a very excellent way. Next. Leadership is more than titles, charts and directives. To accomplish its highest purposes, it must be based on inspired and inspiring communication. We need inspirational communication. Finally, good leaders recognize the importance of giving their followers a chance to fail sometimes. Give your followers a chance to fail sometimes. Knowing that failure is a much better teacher than success. Don't get upset each any time they fail. I say, you will do what you mean. If he fails, make sure he learns the lesson from that failure and he moves on. Give them the opportunity to fail at times. 
Thank you very much. Praise the Lord. In fact, this, is, this one is overloading. I think we need time to digest what we have heard. And I pray that God will help us so that we will not be hearers alone, but doers of the word. And the Lord will help us in Jesus' name. We want to call on uh, our daddy, venerable team, I want to come and close us in prayer. Please may we rise as we pray together. Our dear Lord and Father, we return all the glory and honor and praise and adoration unto you. We thank you for today. We thank you for the opportunity of being in your presence. We thank you for the way you descended to teach us. Thank you for all that we have learned. Thank you for the way you are preparing and equipping us. Lord, may your name alone be exalted in the name of Jesus. Amen. We thank you, Father, for your servant whom you have used to minister to us. Lord, we ask that as strength has gone out of him, may you replenish him. May you strengthen him. And Lord, as he stands before us, even in the evening, he shall minister with greater grace in the name of Jesus. Father, may you grant us grace as leaders in various capacities in our churches, in our families, in various areas where you have called us to lead. May you use us to impact upon lives. May you use us, O God, to touch our generation. And Lord, at the end of the day, people will draw inspiration from our leadership styles. Thank you, Father, for hearing our prayers. As we return from here, may your presence go with us. May your name alone be glorified. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.